Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, your host. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home this week. I'm very happy to be here. And this week, uh, this is a this is an interview and a podcast I've been wanting to make happen for a very long time. And I'm very, very happy that this is happening. I am welcoming this week guest Mark Vicente. And he is uh, someone you may have heard or seen in the past already because he was featured on the documentary The Vow about Keith Rainier's, uh Nexium cult. And he was a survivor of that group and was featured prominently in the documentaries and work and articles, many, many, many articles on that topic. Uh, like Scientology, Nexium was something that absolutely fascinated people when it blew up. And the uh, leader of that group was prosecuted by the FBI and sent to jail where he is currently languishing away for the rest of his life. And quite frankly, I'm quite happy about that. Uh, it's very rare that we see the justice that we want to see uh, enacted against cult leaders who have you know, spent years abusing and uh, financially taking advantage of their members. And so uh, this was a case where we actually saw justice uh, take place. So Mark, welcome to my show. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been a long time coming because we've been liking each other's stuff on social media. But we've never actually had a conversation. Exactly. We really jumped right into it. We've we've talked for the first time like for five minutes. So because yeah, I wanted yeah. to make this very organic. And I wanted to tell you yeah. first off, before we get into anything, how much I have admired you from afar for since this whole thing blew up with Nexium. Because Thank your you. work, your the the demeanor with which you approach this, the calmness with which you explain it. And yet the quite awful experiences that you not only went through, but documented, that mm. is what is so interesting and in a way rare. But I think as we move forward in time, we're going to continue to see more and more, I, I don't know what to call it, digital gurus, like people who want to be mm -hmm. filmed and documented every step of the way. And Keith Rainier was one such person. I think we're seeing others and we're seeing like that Larry, uh, the, the university guru guy yeah. who uh, yeah. was, took over the lives of five or six college students for so, for 10 years. And all yeah. of that was documented. Anyway, I'm, I'm going on and on, but no, 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 you, you're right. You're right. You're first off for anybody, you know, who happens to be watching this, who doesn't know what I'm talking about or doesn't know your background. Can we give a quick rundown on who you are and what your experiences were there? Yeah. I mean, so I'm originally from South Africa. Um, uh, my dream was to make movies and I've, you know, been in the industry for a long time. And I, and I was also seeking for answers for like, what is reality? You know, all the usual stuff. And um, I made a film in, in the early 2000s called The What the Bleep Do We Know? It, it, it became kind of huge. It was a big new age movie. And the the cult that I then later joined, they saw the movie. They were like, this guy, we want this guy to come work for us. And they they lured me in in a very, very smart way. They basically said, we can help you make the movies you want to make. We have the resources. We have the, the finances, you know, so oh, that is smart. jets and. Oh smart. my God. That was, and that was like, that was like crack cocaine for me. Yeah. And so, you know, I was great. This is fantastic. I'll spend some time looking at your, at your sort of, you know, intellectual model. And, and I did, and some of it blew me away, 
but a lot, some of it was very tedious, but, but a good deal of it really blew me away. And slowly over time, over a period of about a year, you know, I sort of got more and more inducted and ended up spending 12 years there. And the last few years, I could see something was wrong. I just couldn't figure out what it was. And I kept on going to the leader, Ranieri, and saying, listen, I think this is going on. I think that is going on. There's a psychopath in the organization. And he was like, oh, really? You know, and basically just blowing smoke up my ass. Am I allowed to swear on this one? Absolutely. Sure. All right, guys, yeah, blowing smoke up my ass. And then the big revelation finally, through the help of my wife, was that he was doing awful, awful things. And he was, he was in actual fact, the one with the pathology. Um, and then, you know, one of the first steps we did is try to get people out. We went to law enforcement. We started, this was, this was in 2017. Uh, I was talking to everybody. I was talking to police. I was talking to the FBI in different places. I was talking to the DEA. I was talking to investigators, cops for months and months and months. And I couldn't get anybody's attention. We all had different jobs. You know, my job was law enforcement. We couldn't get anybody's attention. And so finally we thought, well, fuck it. Let's just go to the New York Times and blow this whole thing up. So sort of April 2017 is when my big wake up happened. Um, the organization started like exploding in June. And then October of that year is when the New York Times article came out. And that is what finally got the attention of law enforcement. Right, right. You know, and it show. happened to timing wise coincide well with the Me Too movement. Yeah. Yeah. In actual fact, um, I remember talking to the, the, you know, talking to the journalist all the time that wrote the piece and said, like, we need to get this out. We need to get this out. This, yeah, but it's it's Harvey Weinstein and me, too. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. We need to ride that, you know. And so we were able to ride the Me Too movement. Um, and we were very lucky we got, you know, because honestly, we'd spoken to a number of different potential prosecutors mm -hmm. and and the FBI in Albany were aware of this for years. They'd been aware. In that fact, was you know, that was what I talked with Susan Doan about. Yeah, and she because yeah. she had gone and tried to yeah. blow the whistle. Yeah, in fact, one of my not my first conversation, but maybe my second conversation with them, um, they said, "How many people have you told about this?" And I said, "Well, just a few." They said, "Well, you need to be careful; they're very dangerous." And in my mind, I was like, "You guys carry guns. What do you mean they're dangerous? I know they're dangerous, but like you're telling me they're dangerous." So it was very interesting that they'd known for that long. Yeah. But we were lucky to get, you know, the perfect prosecutor. You know, Moira Penza was the perfect prosecutor. She wanted this case very badly once she read about it. Um, and that the team was incredible. And so yeah, he's he's now languishing in prison for the rest of his life. He's trying everything to get out. I've seen everything. his efforts. They mm -hmm. seem pretty lame. <laughs> they are. Yeah, yeah, they seem pretty lame. He still has. Now, if I have this right, he still has a couple of people still supporting him. Is that true? I would say there's about, <clears throat> there's five that are very public. I'd say there's probably another 15 that are not public, but support him. So the, the hardcore supporters, I'd say there's probably like 20 of them. Wow. And then I think there's a few more sort of, maybe there's another 20, you know, that, that like, you know, still think. Maybe the mistakes were made and, you know, because basically he's been saying the FBI lied. That's mm. what he's been telling everybody. They, they, they fudged the, the evidence, which I can tell you right now, they did not. Right. They did not mess with the evidence. It was a very good case. Yes, exactly. So there's a bunch well, of them that still... You mm. would know. You literally documented almost yeah. all of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you know, the, the one thing about, cause people sometimes say, well, you know, uh, why were you shooting so much? Um, mm-hmm. obviously in inside I was shooting cause that was kind of my, my job. But what happened is the minute I realized what happened, what was going on, I realized that the next thing that was going to happen is they were going to try and frame me for crimes. And so the reason I was shooting everything and recording everything was because I felt at some point the the, the cops are going to pull up and arrest me because they're going to make up some bullshit because they have the resources to make it happen. Right. If I record everything, then I can show them, no, this is what actually happened. And so I was making notes and I was recording and timestamps and everything because I thought that the the, the beginning of the, what turned into the vow was basically me just collecting um, evidence in real time to prove that they were lying. You know? Oh, so your projects, do I, uh, maybe I, maybe I misunderstood. Did, did it start with the idea of documenting Keith and the positivity and goodness of the group and then become it that? started, it started that way, but that was okay. what I was doing. I was thinking, yeah. I was thinking, you know, like we all do when we're in a cult, like the, the, the leader is great. The leader's misunderstood, you know, let me just document everything and try and, you know, create things so people can see who this really is. Right. Um, I had no intention of, you know, ever doing anything with it outside of that. That was the idea. Now it's funny in court, the, the, the defense attorneys tried to suggest that I had embedded myself for a decade, <sighs> you know, to do this. Like I was being a double agent, which is complete and utter bullshit. For 10 years but, to get Keith. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, can you imagine the, the, the level of patience? I don't have that patience. Let me tell you, I do not have that, that patience at all, but, but you know, the, the way the vow season one opens, you know, with me talking to camera, that's me basically documenting everything that's happening. And then starting to to record phone calls and you know the, the the phone calls between you know bonnie and i and sarah and i and a bunch of different people um i was just trying to document everything because i thought these these guys are going to like try and get us and and attempts were made i mean you know there was an attempt made at one point it didn't work out very well but um claire bronfman you know was trying to get her legal team to get bonnie and i arrested in los angeles you know, white collar crimes, made up white collar crimes. Wow. Um, and we were getting wind of this because we had we had um, somebody inside the legal team telling us what was going on. You know, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's the usual mafia stupid tactics, you know. Well, and, it really, and, it, it is, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? It's the same tactics. It's And, it, and also, you, you think, you know, when you're inside, and, and may, I don't know if you felt this way, because you were in the Sea Org, right? I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you're inside, you kind of think that you really are smarter than everybody else. Yes. <laughs> and like, you're, you know, you, you know shit they don't know. Mm-hmm. So when I woke up and got out, I began to realize they're going to do some stupid shit. All I, all I have to do, all we have to do is try to like document what they're doing. Right. You know? Right. Which is sometimes not that hard because they really think that like, they really think that like everybody else is stupid. Like to this day, Ranieri still believes that, you know, the, the, the judge just didn't understand. Wow. Like he, he tried to reach, reach out to me. Um, I think it was maybe two years right now. He tried to reach out to me from prison. Really? Yeah. And he was trying to get me to tell the judge that I'd made a mistake. Wow. Yeah. After everything that went down, he was, he really thought that was going to work. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's, it's, as you know, it's this bizarre, 
messianic complex mm -hmm. and they live in another reality all to, you know altogether which is so interesting i wanted to say this to you because you, you yeah. know you're all about you know logic and critical thinking yeah and it's funny because inside Ranieri was teaching us logic mm -hmm. and teaching us critical thinking so in a certain compartmentalized area of reality we had those skills mm -hmm. you just couldn't question him exactly and let me tell you L. Ron Hubbard was exactly the same. Really? He set up, this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, um, but huh. there is a series of writings L. Ron Hubbard put together in the early 70s, which are called hmm. the data series of issues. They're policy letters, uh, the data hmm. series. So it's a series of issues about data, how to parse, analyze, and understand data and information and statistics huh. and situations and figure out why something is happening the way that it is, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, and reinforce the good or correct the bad. And this whole system is called data evaluation, and it is uh, a whole process that is used by Scientology management that I was trained in. And this now, is how was scientologists it, it sound, convince themselves they know reasoning? how to think. <laughs> yeah, but was it like sound reasoning? Was it was it good logic? Oh no, I've taken it apart. It's it, but okay, it, right. it was a it was a reasoning system that looked and sounded impressive, and gave mm. everybody who was trained in it the idea that they had an analytical ability to spot the source of mm. problems more quickly and easily than anybody else. But what mm. it really is, is a system of confirmation bias to target an individual and blame them for the yes. entire situation. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Those assholes. Yeah, exactly. Every time. <laughs> you know, before I forget, one of the other things I wanted to tell you is um, there were a few things that we were watching as we were sort of waking up. And one of them was, uh, was Scientology in the aftermath. Yes. Cool. Yeah, which I think you were you were a consultant on that, weren't you? I was, and I got to I got to be in it a couple of times too. It was a great oh, that's it was right. a great experience. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And honestly, uh I was, you know, watching that stuff like April, May, um, 2017. And because Bonnie was saying to me, watch this, watch this, watch this. <laughs> yes. And I was watching that and saying, Holy shit. Yeah. It's the same. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And that's my obsession with patterns. That's why I'm I'm so obsessed with looking at patterns. You know, yeah, because because it it these kinds of things happen. You know, we can get into this in a, in a while, but these things happen. You know, from intimate relationships all the way up to like you know entire countries. That's right. I think that we we have to learn the patterns. You know, I could not agree with you more, and I have been doing the exact same search and discovery uh, to figure this out from a psychological perspective, right? How do we think our way into this? How do we think our way out of it? Or can we? And what does that, for me, it's been the intersection of rationality, emotional needs, and moral foundations. And those three things come together to sort of determine how we're going to act or behave. That's, that's my right, framing right, of the right. whole thing. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, have this, we have the same mission. Exactly. And that's why I've been wanting to hook up with you for so long, because I could see that. And I've so admired your work on this for so long because you've been so oh, calm you. and rational and just kind of dedicatedly one step after another, after another. And you're really kind of taking your time, putting it out there and figuring it out and, and, and putting out really high quality content. So that's, that's what I've been so impressed by is in your post cult. Oh, 
life. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, it's been this obsession to try to, um, I guess, mm-hmm. defrag my brain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things, so the, there's sort of two projects that I'm doing right now. The one project I'll finish this year, um, it's called Empathy Not Included. It's about narcissism, narcissistic abuse, you know, malignant narcissism, that kind of thing. And that started um, in 2019, I think it was, Bonnie had said to me, you need to make a film about narcissism. Mm-hmm. You need to make a film about this because people need to understand the pathology. And I was like, oh my God, that's such a good point. And so um, I began, you know, well, actually continue doing as much research as I could because I realized that there's all these different words for things, you know, um, you know, in different contexts, like in business, the, the person's called this thing, in the relationship, they're called an abuser. But, and I was realizing that it's, but there's a pathology underlying all of these things. Yes. Um, so that film we've been shooting for almost two years now, and we'll, we'll have that out at the end of this year. And then I'm also doing another, uh, a series, which is, it's kind of like the vow it's, it's, you know, mm. another cult. Um, this time I'm, you know, I get to take what I've learned and now work with other people who are, as you well know, deeply traumatized, deeply messed up. Yeah. Um, I won't mention the particular cults at the moment, but but we've been working on that for a while as well. That should come out uh, next year. But my obsession has been looking at the patterns of all of these things at, at different scales. And I think because what happened with me is um, I began to realize that what Keith Raniere was doing with these women was like he was having this these these uh, malignant, narcissistically abusive relationships with each one of them. Mm-hmm. And then I began to realize, oh, and then then as the entire the entire organization we were in an abusive relationship with him. And then I began yes. to realize, oh, but this is what happens in corporations. And this is what happens, you know, in all the different cults and religions and whatever that do that kind of thing. And eventually I realized, oh, but this is what happens at a, at a global scale. That's you know, um, coming from from South Africa, you know, I now, when I look back and I realized like, oh, the, the shit that was being done in South Africa, some of the some of the authoritarian shit that happens, it's the same pattern. That's right. And it's usually there's somebody with the pathology, or maybe it's a group of people with some kind of pathology that are doing these things, that are seeking this, this control because of their, you know, vapid emptiness that they have inside. They just desperately need to control and hurt other people. That's you know, right. you know. Uh, how it yeah. Goes. Oh yeah, totally. Well, let me ask you, because I, you know, I, uh, the documentaries in the, and sort of the cult space, you could say, right, has really blown yeah. up in the last 10, 15 years. Yes. Um, I don't know, you know, my perspective being very Scientological, because that's where I came out of, I kind of frame everything through how Scientology was exposed and anonymous blowing up in 2008. And then the uh, the escape of very prominent high-level Scientologists, Mike Rinder, Marty Rathman, Mark Headley, et cetera, and, they, and them speaking out in newspapers. And then going clear and Scientology in the aftermath. And this has really blown this up into the public space, followed by the vow. And now we have practically movies of the week about cults of the week, uh, because this is such a popular genre, similar to true crime. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that as an ex-cult member in terms of the, you know, I think it's good for the exposure, but I also have concerns about the misunderstandings or sensationalism that sometimes can overtake the messaging but what do you how do you yeah. see it i feel the same way i think that the 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 upside is people get to see a pattern play out in front of them yeah. on their television screen yeah. 
and it really helps them. Like the amount of people that have seen the vow that have reached out to all of us said, oh my God, I watched the vow and then I realized I was in this thing or I used to be in that thing or whatever it is. I think the problem that I see, there's a couple of problems I see. The one is uh, what I call cult porn. There we um, go. I call it trauma porn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, same thing. Same thing. Yep. You know, um, because people are sort of watching often your worst moments. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and we decided, like, just crack our chest open, let it all hang out. People have to see how this works. Yeah. And it was a deeply vulnerable experience. And I mean, honestly, for almost three years, just cameras all the time. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the, where I see problems and it's, this is a really big problem, is that some of the messaging sometimes is, look at these insanely crazy, stupid, dumb people. Yep. It would never happen to me. Yep. And so when certain you know cult shows or compilation shows are made, they always choose the ones where the craziest looking people, yes. the craziest leaders. And they don't seem to understand, like, like Keith Raniere presented himself like Mr. Rogers, you know? Really? Like really kind and sweet and everything and you know you don't see that as much in the vow because you see the, the some of the crazy shit yeah but he really i mean his ability to connect with people to mirror them and to have them feel like they were the most important person in the room he came he came across with such kindness and if you don't understand what love bombing is or you don't understand how these people present themselves you know you're going to fall for it so the, the issue i have with these shows is they show sometimes the really crazy shit yes and it's interesting because it's very exciting. That's mm. insane, you know. And and it's you know you really as 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 a filmmaker you can get people really riled up and and fascinated. But like as a tool to actually help people, I think you have to you have to get people to see the pattern. So yeah. my concern is sometimes that people think, oh well, it could never happen to me, and they think somehow that you would know a cult because you would arrive. And they'd be doing terribly destructive things. Yeah, they they don't realize that's not what happens. That shit comes later. <laughs> that's right. You know that shit comes later. Like first you get like love bombed, and these are the most amazing people I've ever met, and these are my people, and they really get me, and oh my god, they're so supportive, and like they really want to help humanity, and yada 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 yada, and then eventually, bit by bit by bit, you get to the point that you're fucked. That's and right. then you start to see the evil. Right. But but then you say it's evil, but they say that's not evil. You 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 your morality is messed up. We're going to fix your morality. You know you you know how it goes. Oh yeah. But I so I think that's the that's the one concern I have, and I know it's a big thing right now. I think you know this this whole um, true con genre. And look, you know I'm 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 doing something like well I'm doing a, a true con piece as well. But the thing what I, the, the thing that I'm doing is I'm looking very deeply at the pathology, you know, of the people involved. Mm -hmm. um, their 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 background as well like how they get how they get to be like this you know and taking a very very deep dive into into the the victims and survivors stories in, in a very very deep way and i and i hope you know i won't i'm not doing cult porn i hope i don't think i am <laughs> i you know? probably i doubt that you are because you and i and most people who come out of cults get it because we yeah. literally lived it and yeah. there is yeah. nothing uh, quite like the experience of having to reset your entire life because everything you've been surrounding yourself with and all of the values and truths that you were literally clinging to 
were false, yeah. were completely yeah. wrong. And yeah. not only yeah. wrong, but destructively wrong. Yes. That's a mind-blowing yes. moment. And I still, 10 years later, haven't found the right words to describe that moment in time. <laughs> How do you describe yeah. it? What was your moment? Do you mean that you mean the wake up that wake yes, up moment? That moment. So the way I describe it is uh I use Stranger Things, the, the TV show as oh, a really? metaphor. Um I describe it as waking up in the upside down. For those of <laughs> you know the audience that doesn't know, like Stranger Things, there's two right. parallel worlds, the normal world and the upside down world. But you wake up one day suddenly in the upside down and and realize I thought this was normal, but you're upside down and you're inside out and you're backwards. And now you have to get back into the normal world that it's the, it's the most bizarre thing. It's like your psyche got turned inside out. And when you wake up and you see the, the, the level of evil that's happening, it's so extraordinary. It's such a mindfuck. And there's also the there's also the aspect of of moral injury, you know, which is that you went along with certain things that like now you look back and go, that was insane. Yes. It was insane that I thought that. It was insane that I thought that was that that was okay. And all and all because, you know, we all wanted to improve. We all wanted to be better. You know, okay, so yeah, I'll, I'll, okay, so I'll plank for five minutes, you know, because that'll help me do this, or I'll do whatever, or I'll, you know, I'll go stand in this, you know, in the snow and, you know, barefoot for however long because blah, blah, whatever, whatever the thing is. That's right. So for me, it's the upside down. You wake up in the upside down, and the shock is you thought that was normal. And, 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 and then, as you know, the path back to the normal world, which can't, the, the path back to the normal world physically can happen pretty fast. But then it's the slow defragging, yes. you know, back out. And there's all these fears, you know. And I see that with 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 people that have left uh, cults or recent recently left cults. They have this terror that the cult leader can read their mind, that they know things about them, you know. And I have to say, no, the cult leader is a fucking idiot <laughs> and doesn't have any of those abilities. They've just they've just basically data mined you for so long that they know so much about you. That's right. That's what they're using. It's a magic trick. You know, that's right. Um, but yeah, that's and I, it's it's the best the best way I could describe it to somebody that doesn't understand how a cult works that that part of it anyway is saying imagine imagine that the person you love your husband or your wife you find out that they're a serial killer and have been for twenty years. Right. That's right. the level of shock. That's right. You know. That's right. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind that's of that's a good way of putting it. I agree with all of that. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. The upside down. Because you do yeah. have to, it's a journey making your way back. There's no, and it's interesting to me to see the individuality of response. It's, it's interesting. Mm. I mean, you want to help everybody, but you come to realize, as we mentioned earlier, there's still five, 20 people believing in Keith, even yeah. now, even with everything that's come out. And you realize yeah. You, you know, like, like when you're in the cult, you're trying to reach everybody. And when you're out of the yeah. cult, you're trying to reach everybody. And you come to realize everybody. we're yeah. not going to reach everybody. We we can do no. what we can do, you know? Yeah. But it took me a while, you know? Yeah, like, me too. <laughs> I remember because I was, you know, I, sp I was, I was spending a lot of time with the FBI and, and, mm -hmm. and Bonnie was there at times as well. I was kind of living in that building for a while. And 
you know, I would sometimes say, like, I'm trying to get so-and-so out. I'm trying to get so-and-so out. And, and they would look at me. At one point, the two agents, you know, walked me out of the building. They said, you know, listen, with all those indictments that are out now, I mean, if they haven't woken up now, they're never waking up. And I'm like, no, that's not true. And they said, I'm, I'm telling you, it's true. Yeah. And it was very hard for me to swallow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I finally got to the point. It was actually Leah, Leah Remini. She was actually the one that finally, finally helped me. She said, listen, for some people, they shouldn't wake up because it might be too much. Just let them go. And it was such an interesting thing she said to me. Wow. You know? That's a really powerful statement because it's actually totally Very. true. It's, it's totally true. Totally and you know true. what happened after that? I was, I was, I was doing a podcast with, with, with Mike and Leah and, and she said it on the podcast. And after that podcast, my back went out and I couldn't move for like two weeks. Oh no. And I think, but I feel like somehow it was related to what she said. Yeah. Finally, like putting the weight down that it was my responsibility somehow to get everybody out. And, and, and many of us felt this, you know, all of us, I mean, Nippy, Sarah, Bunny, we all felt it at some point. Yeah. But there comes a point where you're like, I just, I just can't anymore, you know, because right. it's not, it's also not good for you after a while. Right. That's right. I think. No, I agree. I, I absolutely agree yeah. with you. Um, I'm yeah. 10 years out and yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, moving in, in a wider direction now. And I've said this so many times to people, I mean, probably sick of hearing it, but I just have mm. to keep announcing it because for me, it's kind of reminding myself, you know, when I'm talking out loud, I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to my audience that yeah. there comes a point where in a way I've had to kind of repeatedly remind myself to give myself permission that it's okay to move on, <laughs> that it's okay yes. to, to that, that there are going to be people who are going to be stuck there or trapped there. And I've done yeah. everything I know how to do. I've right. produced all the content I know how to produce. I've said everything there yeah. is to say. Other people yeah. have things to say. Please do, you know, other channels, yeah. other yeah. content, whatever. But for me, yeah. you know, when I first got out, how did you feel about this? When I first got out, I said to my mom, who was my main support person at the time, I, I really leaned heavily on family because they had gotten out. And I said to her, if I'm still doing this in a year, when I first started making my first videos, I said, if I'm still doing this in a year, I want you to stop me. I want you to shoot me, right? I can't, I can't keep yeah. talking about Scientology after a year. This is after yeah. having been in for 30 plus years, right? Wow. So wow. after a year, I had just gotten started and I had yeah. just really gotten going on downloading and I realized yeah. recovery was probably gonna be a much longer process than a year. And right. now it's been 10 years mm -hmm. and I really think I'm there, you know? Yeah. as far as being able yeah. to move on. How has this been yeah. for you? I think where there were, there were two things that happened. You know, 2017 was the wake up, but, um, you know, I remember Yanya Lalich and I were having a conversation at one point and she said, you know, you can't heal when you're, when you're an activist. And I said, I, I get it. But he's still out there doing that shit, you know. And and he hadn't even been arrested at this point. And I said that right. healing is going to have to come later. And she was right. Mm -hmm. 
for two years, there was just, it was just, you know, constant war and like, there was no healing right. after the trial, uh, which was, which was June to, you know, 2019. So two years later, um, when, when he was found guilty, um, he hadn't been sentenced yet. I had a complete and utter collapse. I was so, so messed up. Hmm. Uh, my nerves are just shot. And yeah. only then at the end of 2019, could I start really like Bonnie and I both really embracing healing. Yeah. Um, but we were super messed up. And so in 2020, when I really started to feel like I need to start like moving my projects forward, um, I realized I don't want to be talking about Nixon forever. You know the same the, the same way you feel, but I'm but I'm really interested in the pattern of these things. Right. I'm really interested in studying about authoritarianism, which we were studying inside, by the way, as well. We were studying Lifton's work and a whole bunch of things inside. You know. Really. Um, you were re straight yes. up reading Lifton while you were in Nexium. Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. If that isn't messed up, I don't know what is. Boy, it's um, certainly a display of cognitive dissonance. I'll tell you that. Uh, it's extraordinary. Wow. It's extraordinary. Mm. And it was this weird kind of inoculation because it was like by studying all these things, you were being inoculated because it was like, well, we're not, we're not doing this. We're studying it. So we don't do it. Right. I mean, that, 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 the level of evil is extraordinary, but there came a point I realized that because, because when, so when the vow came out, everybody wanted to talk. So many people wanted to talk. And I was just like, I don't have the bandwidth. I, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Like, and it was almost like people were expecting me now, now, now that you've already spent 12 years of life doing that. And now that you've had this war for like over two years now, now give us more of your time. And I was like, I just, I just can't. Yeah. Um, but what I could do is really start to look at my projects that I wanted to to make that I've been sitting on for a while. And the, the, the narcissism thing sort of started to, to become this burning obsession to, to make the film about that. And it's been actually very healing. Because in this film, um, I've interviewed four self-confessed either narcissists or sociopaths or psychopaths. Mm. I've had lengthy, lengthy conversations with people with these pathologies. And in some ways, it's been very healing because I've been able to ask the questions and get the answers that I could never get from Ranieri. Oh, how wonderful. Capable. Of course. Isn't that weird? Isn't yeah. that strange? Yeah. Yeah, because they'll they'll tell me straight up, you know. I mean, they'll tell me about like the awful things they do to people and why they do it and what their internal emotion, emotional. There's not a lot of emotion, but there's some. What their internal architecture is like, what their reasoning is like. Yeah, and so yeah. it's helped me make sense of a lot of things. And then I began to think, if I can show other people how these people work, two things will happen. First, I can get past the wall of denial that people have of like evil doesn't exist because it does. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I can help them feel sane because the, 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 the as you know, there's this feeling of insanity um, because they've turned your whole world upside down. And if you can, you, you can, you're never going to get an apology ever, ever um, because you're the problem, not them. That's right. But if you can start to understand what, what you're dealing with, you're dealing with a certain kind of AI, a certain mechanism. If you can understand what you're dealing with, um, I found for myself, I started to feel more sane and I found for people that I've been, that I've helped in different ways, they start to go, oh, that's what's going on. That's how they work. You, you have to get people, as you know, to stop thinking that like, I, what, who I am, they're like me. They're not. Right. 
That's right. They're not. That's right. They don't give a shit. You're a chess piece. Exactly. You're a, you're a toaster. You're like a, a refrigerator. Like you're whatever. You're they're not like you. And if you can get people to separate that out, it's a very sweet, childlike thing. This this projecting all of your attributes on the world. Yes. You can yes. start to, to separate that out. That's right. It, there's a kind of a growing up that happens. It's painful, um, but there's a growing up that happens, and you realize, oh. I am this way and they are that way. And that's very, very different, you know? Yes. So, so for me, just to answer the, the long answer to your, to your question is, you know, for me that my sanity and, and, and sort of my creative spirit has been reinvigorated because I'm now using my craft, which I, I love filmmaking, but I'm using it in a way that I feel is more beneficial than just talking about Nixium forever. Cause I will still talk about it because it's a great example of the pattern. Exactly. That's exactly how I example. think about Scientology now. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Scientology to me is so interesting because, and I feel this deep sadness because there has been very little resolution for people that have left. Yeah. But the whistleblowers, there's very little resolution and the, and the fight has been long and is still going on. And we were very lucky. That's right. It is almost unheard of what happened with us that we got justice. It's almost unheard of, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I feel a certain sadness because the, the, the fight is long, you know? It but is. But I was thinking about like, for instance, what, what you, you know, what you do is you, you're, you're, you're beyond just Scientology. You're, you're teaching people, you know, how to think critically and how to look at certain things, you know, uh, which is what people desperately need, desperately. Yeah. Tell me about it. I, yeah. and I, and I agree with everything you've just said. I, I have so many questions. I guess I first wanted to comment on, um, the pattern includes a very interesting bit that I wanted to throw by you and see what you think about this. You mentioned love bombing earlier and highlighted it because it's such an important point of cult recruitment and um, mm -hmm. retention because they will just do yes. it again and again and again. And yes. Uh, yes. this is the trauma bonding we talk about where it's rewards as well as penalties. And when you need the rewards, yes. you get the rewards but just yes. enough to keep you on the edge and keep you involved. Another right. term of a, a classmate of mine used for love bombing is uh, manipulative kindness, which I find oh. to be a perfect descriptor of it. Yeah. And it feels to me like it, these predatory narcissistic personalities, and I have, and I have questions for you about the interviews you've done, um, seem to target empaths seem to target mm -hmm. people who are empathic and they and as mm -hmm. uh, what john atak and i have called this is weaponized empaths <laughs> you yes. weaponize them as cult members because yes. there is no one who will work harder for you actually yeah. die for you than someone who actually likes people wants people to get along, wants to yeah. have people succeed and believes that this narcissist's methodology is the way to accomplish that. And mm -hmm. that's the mm -hmm. 180 weirdo, stupid thing that happens that if you could get that that empath to see, it's when the empath wakes up to the fact that they're hurting people yeah. That their moral foundations kick in and they realize yeah. I'm the bad guy. Oh my God. 
That's yeah. exactly what I've never wanted to be. And that's exactly. what forces the reevaluation. Whereas if we were all narcissists, we would never be forced to reevaluate our position or yes. morality or actions because we would take pleasure in hurting people. But empaths yes. only take pleasure in hurting people when they think they're doing the good for the world. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, what, how do you feel about, what, what do you think about all that? I mean, I think that's generally true. Um, I think it's people, maybe it's empaths. I think it's definitely people that are idealistic. There we go. That would be um, another term for I, it. I, I, slightly broader for me. Like idealistic yeah. people are unfortunately very easy to play. Yes. Um, and it's very damaging, you know, in politics as well, because, because, because most people, um, you know, vote for things that are not good for them, but they're sold idealism. They're sold something beautiful. That's right. Um, so I generally really agree with you. I think there's another thing though, and I saw this mm -hmm. in, in Nixium that certain people that came in had pathologies. They were narcissistic and some of them had NPD. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, of course. And they were desperate for attention and he gave them power. Right. And it was like a drug to them. Right. And and some of the people that are still in prison right now are like that. They're it was like he gave them he gave them so much power. Um, you know, he put them in the position of generals and it was interesting. I, I did not, I don't, first of all, I'm used to power because, you know, on a film set, it's run in a very militaristic way. Mm. Um, so that was never a thing for me that never appealed to me. Ranieri had to get me on something else and he had to get me on, on morality, you know, mm. on goodness, on the things that really, I really cared about. And we would have arguments about that, especially towards the end. But I do think that generally speaking, I, had, I really don't believe that the people that are targeted are broken people necessarily, because I think that people mm -hmm. think that. Mm. I think there are people, like everybody else, that's yearning for something beautiful. Yeah. And the narcissist or sociopath or psychopath or whatever it is, if they have enough knowledge about how that works, all they have to do is represent the thing the person most wants in, in life and have them believe that this is it. And usually they do believe it because... It doesn't occur to the sensitive, empathic person to lie. Right. They just, they just not like that. They're just not going to, you know, be maybe little white lies here and there because they're uncomfortable. They want to say how uncomfortable, whatever it is, but never the complete, flat-out fucking lie. That's right. They're never going to do that, and so they assume that what they're hearing is true. In fact, one of my first exit counselors, when I started waking up, she said to me. Um, because I said, well, he says this and he says that and he says the other. And, and she said, look at what he does, not what he says. That's right. And that to me was staggering. I was like, what he does? Because I literally believed what he said he meant. Because when I say something, I fucking mean it. Exactly. We That's right? that projection again. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And when I looked at what he does, I'm like, right, what he does is not the same. And she would say to me, have you noticed over the years, was there stuff he said that was different than what he did? I said, yes. And this was like this staggering realization to me. Yeah. Um, but I do think, but I do think, I do think that empathic people have this, I wouldn't call it a weakness. I think it's, it's an idealism that mm -hmm. makes them susceptible uh, because they're, you know, nowhere are you trained. And it's funny, I deal with that in the film that I'm going to release. Nowhere are you trained about these pathologies. 
even some therapists, even some psychologists, some psychiatrists are not well-trained. That's right. Maybe you spend half a day on, you know, discussing narcissism, you know, when they go to school, but no one's trained in, 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 in how this works. And so they get away with it time and time again. And I, so for me, the obsession is, is trying to help people understand how it works in an entertaining way. Exactly. Uh, you want to make it entertaining, yeah. informative, and educational. <laughs> my, yeah. My three. Yeah. Which is not, which is not easy, you know, but I think I'm very happy with where we've gotten with this film. We're going to release at the end of the year, but it's, it's, it's pretty cool, you know, because you, as you know, you have to figure out, well, how do I give them a story and how do I give them a lot of information? Yep. And not too much that they just, their brain shorts out, you know? That's right. That's right. Um, but I think, I think this film, I think this film is the kind of film that people will want to go see more than once, you know, probably, I hope. <laughs> You know, I, Excellent. Think, I think it will be that kind of film. Well, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to it. Let me ask you, in interviewing these people one-on-one -on -one direct like this, mm -hmm. what was the biggest surprise for you? Some of it was just their, just their unashamed admission of things. Mm. And then... Some of it was recognizing that not in not in all cases that there was one gentleman who is a complete psychopath, no anxiety, whatever, a little different with him. But for the others, they're basically underdeveloped children. They're little children they just never grew up at hmm. a certain point. They stopped growing and they just give in to a whole bunch of 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 impulses. That was surprising to me that I didn't expect because I think I had this, you know, because because Ranieri was the sort of intellectual specter of a of a whatever. I never saw Ranieri as a little child until I woke up. And then I was like, oh my God. Really? Like I remember when, you know, in the vow you see we go to we go off to India to go meet the Dalai Lama, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I remember we took like a, a we took a, a we drove in the middle of the night to like a private airstrip somewhere near Saratoga Springs, and we took a private jet to New York, and then we from New York we flew to like Heathrow, and then from Heathrow to India. And I remember because I was you know with Ranieri and a few other people, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't handle his passport. He couldn't handle his ticket. He'd never. It's like he'd never gone through TSA in his life, and he really? was like a little boy, and and, and me with my, you know, sweetness was like, oh, that's so sweet. He's so, he's so, he's like a little monk that has no life, real life experience. You know, he's so internal and so like loving and trying to figure out how to help people that he doesn't have a lot of experience. And then, and then I was like, motherfucker, he used to, he used to fly, <laughs> you know, he just became, he just like organized his life in such a way that he was so helpless. He, he barely ever drew, drove himself. I mean, sometimes if I'd meet him, sometimes I'd have to drive him, you know, I'd have to go pick him up, you know? But I think this big surprise for me was how underdeveloped some of these people are. They can be intellectually very smart, strategically very, very clever. Mm -hmm. um, but they're very underdeveloped. And once you know what you're looking at, you can it, it's it's such a pattern. You can see so clearly what they're doing. You know, they think they're brilliant, you know. Which is, which is, you know, it's quite scary because when I look back at it now, I realize, well, part of what happens in a cult is, you know, you are, you are sort of inducted into a kind of narcissism because you are made to think that you are special and wonderful and amazing and you believe it. That's right.
And that's not good. That is very, very unhealthy. You know, when you wake up, you realize like, oh, I don't know shit. <laughs> that's right. You know? And that's such a good, that's such a good thing to wake up to. Like, I don't know shit, you know, all the shit I thought I knew, I don't know shit. And so, I mean, for me, I threw everything out. Mm-hmm. Everything I thought I knew about psychology, mysticism, spirituality, I threw everything out. Yeah. You yeah. know, I decided that all the great saints were all assholes. You know, Jesus was a narcissist, you know, Buddha was probably a sociopath, you know, <laughs> I was like, just going after everything. Um, but, you know, I, I recognize at the, t- at the time, even it was a phase, you know, so it's taken me a certain amount of time to begin to reintegrate some of those, some of those things in a very, very careful way. Um, right. But I had to throw everything out. But yeah, lo- the long answer was just that those were the things that surprised me about, um, you know, about these, these people with these pathologies. And, and, the, and one other thing, which is their, their level of certainty. They are so certain yeah. of what they're saying. Yeah. So certain. It's like, and listen, most politicians, I believe, have are on the spectrum. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they say shit that 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 they're lying. They're mm-hmm. lying. But they say it with such confidence. Yep. You know? Yep. That you go like, I mean, there's no way you could say it with that confidence and be lying. No, no, you can. Just, you know, not in your architecture, but in theirs. They can't. You know? And that's and that's the that's the um, credibility we give them is because we see yes. an attitude and a way of speaking and a way of even presenting that is convincing and it's and it's and it's yes. uh, calculatingly so it, it, that that yes. individual is calculating their appearance and their speech and they've even practiced in front of mirrors I mean they really yes. some of these people really really work on this. And that certainty point becomes, and I'll relate it back in terms of Scientology, which, by the way, Hubbard literally described as the science of certainty early on. Um, That trait and the other traits that these people, these narcissistic predators present, are presented in such a way that you want to be like them. They are admirable and, uh, you know, you want to copy them. You want to live a life that you believe they are living. And you want to present the way they are presenting because you find it so intellectually stimulating or emotionally satisfying or beautiful to look upon or whatever. I think that's very much part of the package. And that's what these personality types have somehow come to realize is their path to success is if they do these things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about, um, and I don't like to mention people, uh, you know, by name, but I will, I mean, I was thinking about Tom Cruise, you know? Oh yeah. The guy's a megastar. Yep. And, and he has a level of confidence that seems extraordinary. Now, once I woke up and I looked at that, I thought, I think I know what that confidence is. There's a, there's a lot of stuff missing in there. Yep. Yep. A lot. Yep. And 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 the the there's there's very few emotions in there that are that are portrayed, but there's a level of certainty that can feel intoxicating, you know. And this is the this is the danger about filmmaking. You know, you make something like, you know, you make these big these heroes, like whether it be female or male. And they just seem so so sure of themselves. You're like, I want to be like that. And I hate those kinds of characters. I, I prefer the characters that have some fatal flaw. And you realize, oh, my God, they're going to fuck up at some point, you know? <laughs> yeah. Now, 
I hope they fuck up. And then if they overcome that, that's amazing. I mean, I prefer those kinds of characters. Yep. But when I look at uh, Tom Cruise, you know, Ranieri taught in the acting curriculum that he taught, he said, you don't be happy. You don't worry about feeling things. Just figure out the architecture of what you need to do that represents an emotion. Like what does sadness look like? What is What happens with your face with sadness? And so he was teaching this sort of, this sort of not inside out um, acting style, but sort of the outside in. Just show them a certain architecture of your body and your face, and they'll feel the emotion. And so when I began to wake up, I realized, oh, that's he's teaching acting that way because he doesn't have those emotions. Bingo. That's right. And so when I look at certain actors, and you know, Tom Cruise is one of those actors. I mean, it's very intense. A man runs intensely. Mm-hmm. And I'll, you know, listen, I went to see Top Gun. I liked it so much. I went to see it again. I really liked it. I really liked it. But I, but I, but I watched the acting style. I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of training, mm-hmm. a lot of training. And okay. it's such good training that people mistake it for actual emotion. You know, I completely agree. I'm, I, I hope I don't offend anybody with me saying that, but you know, I, you I shouldn't be because I think what you're saying up. is 100% accurate. You're describing exactly the behavioral characteristics of these predators, and these are the and I mm. and I gravitate towards that word since narcissism is you know I I don't know how you feel about mm. this, but I feel it's so grossly overused at this oh, point. Just, yeah. So yeah, no, it really is. Yeah. Really so is. I've had I to. Mean, if somebody disagrees with you, you call them a narcissist. Exactly. I mean, no. It's a exactly. very specific pathology. That's yeah. right. And it's yeah. much deeper than he's a little egotistical, you know, yeah. or she yeah. or she cons some people sometimes. It's a way more deep pathology yes. than that. In fact, we're yes. we're actually sort of circling around the architecture of it right now because certainty and uh, a lack of stages of development uh, in the mind and psychology has everything to do with this because you're you're dealing mm-hmm. with adult children who are absolutely positive that every thought and idea and action that they want to take part in is absolutely the pure right 100 thing that needs to be done and anybody who gets in my way i'm just going to roll them over yes that's it's so true you know and i see that i i I see that in the in sort of leadership you know in different countries Mm. and you know, I'm not going to single out specific countries and stuff because honestly, you know, my the one gift, my dad was in intelligence, you know, and so he was a spy basically. And he said to me, things are not the way you think they are, you know, <laughs> like you think all these people are against each other. They're all working with each other in different ways. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. And then later I realized he was right. But I see world leaders, I see them as children. Yeah. They get up in front of the camera and they're so certain and some of them are so full of shit, yeah, you know, exactly. and we have this thing um, inside of us. And, and, you know, this is Ranieri was very smart with this. Ranieri, the reason Ranieri wanted to do videos was because he told Nancy Salzman that there's something about seeing something on a television screen that you immediately are awestruck. It's, it's, it's larger than life and it, and it taps into something very primitive. And I think he was right. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing happens with us, you know, with with our TV screens and our and our you know movie screens and now even our phones. You know, we see these things, and and we think they're legitimate. And like I, you know, I was a news cameraman for a while in South Africa, and I mean, I I would shoot things and they'd end up in the news and they'd be lying about what happened. 
you know, and I began to realize like we have to get more educated. And I, I don't know that this is going to be my thing in life, but I really want people to understand how media works. Yeah. And, and how it's, it's really seductive. Yep. You know, really seductive and put aside, you know, well, this network is better than that, that network. They're all, they're, they're, they're designed to make money. They're all doing something. That's right. You know, never mind what political party you're in. It's all full of shit. It's very hard to get real news at this point. That's right. But it's very, very seductive. And you, and you, you know, you need to start to study what do these people look like? And some of them, they're so well lit. They're so coiffed, you know, and maybe the guys have the square jaw and the woman have a certain look and they're, they have the same plastic surgeon that, you know, gets them to look a certain way. And it feels like, well, they know. And I keep saying to people, this is not like, you know, the the fifties, you know, this is not like things have changed, you know, yep. you're, you're looking at glamour, That's you know, right. anyway, this is, this is one of my rants. I, I don't know what I'm going to, you know, I don't think it's my thing in life to try to train people about this, but on my podcast, sometimes I talk about some of this stuff, you know? Absolutely. Well, there's no way to avoid it for us because once your eyes are opened and once you realize, and by my eyes opened, I don't mean I have some higher awareness than other people are capable of. That's not at all the point. The right, point is right. you become aware when your eyes are open as a cult member to yeah. how, well, basically how stupid you can be, how, how conable yes. or how yes. open to suggestion you can be. That's what you realize yes. you don't realize how yes. better you are you realize how vulnerable you are and you realize true. how vulnerable everybody is who are yeah. not these personality types we're talking about because they're not vulnerable yes. they're predators we are their prey and yes. we make ourselves open to being their prey quite organically because we have something they don't have compassion yeah. empathy yeah. the concept yeah. that other people are important not just tools yeah. to be used as you mentioned earlier yes these are yeah. fundamental principles of different types of personalities that we yeah. tend to not really recognize because of this projection you mentioned we project ourselves yeah. onto everybody we meet so yeah. Yeah. The education I think we're trying to present to people is, hey, you really got to understand there are people out there who aren't like you and yeah. you're vulnerable to them because of your very nature. It has nothing to do with your politics, your religious beliefs, yeah. your spirituality nothing. or lack yeah. of it. None of that yeah. has anything to do with what we're talking no. about. Mm -hmm. That I there's think something is, you, 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 you know. something you raised, which is you know, you you wake up and you realize, oh my god, how could I be so wrong? Yep. And there's a there's a tendency to want to now find security and go like, well, now I've been like, what do they say, red pilled? Yeah. <laughs> so now I know how everything's working. No, you don't. That's right. You know, like just be humble. That's like, right. Like you know, just be humble about it. Like as I see some people sometimes, you know, some you know some some of, some of the anti cult people, you know, there's a certain certainty they have now and they know everything. I'm like, no, you don't. That's right. You know, you're just a human being like the rest of us with all these different foibles that we all have. The greatest thing that happened to me when I woke up, you know, from this, from this, this cult business and, and I, and I really hit rock bottom. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I was, I, I hit rock bottom mm -hmm. and I was busy writing and I went to, I was going to this writing group, you know, and I, I remember writing one day, like just about how rock bottom I felt. And I, but, and then I noticed like, but I'm feeling 
like I'm feeling so much. And I was thinking, holy shit, this is amazing. I am finally feeling a level of failure I've never allowed myself to feel. And I know failure isn't a feeling, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And for the first time in my life, because I think I used spirituality as, as a bomb, as a way to bypass everything, for the first time in my life, I truly felt like I could connect to the human condition. Yeah. and realize like, oh, everybody feels this. This is the feeling I've been terrified of, you know? Yeah. So in some ways, waking up, hitting rock bottom, you know, and, and, the, and the, you know, and before the attempted resurrection, it was just like, I'm fucked. And the only thing I know is I got to put this guy away. I'll do anything I can. I'll do whatever to put this guy away. That's all I knew. And I felt bad. I felt my nervous system was messed. I felt like such a failure. And I've wasted 12 years of my life. There were all these thoughts I had, but but I was feeling yeah. deeply, you know? And that's the thing that they don't want you to do um, inside most cults. They don't want you to feel deeply. That's right. In fact, you know, they, it's been positive. I wanted to get your opinion on this, especially now that you've done these interviews where you have more insight into the cult leader predator psyche. Um, there is a there is a theory out there that um, I think it's Hassan's, uh, but it might be based mm -hmm. on earlier work about cult personality, about how the cult leader sort of injects or uh, throws or creates mini me's within mm -hmm. the cult. Everybody's kind of mm -hmm. trying to become the cult leader. It's it's yeah. a it's a very workable theory as far as I'm concerned. I think it makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense in mm -hmm. that there's a codependent relationship that's established. The leader needs the followers yeah. as much as the followers need the leader. And the follow yeah. and the entire basis of the relationship is we want to be more like this guy because he's our yeah. ascended master. He's the source of wisdom for us. Wouldn't I yes. want to become him? And so we take yes. on their personality traits to the point where even in Scientology, we would ask ourselves, what would Ron do in this situation? <laughs> you know, not what, not what should I do in this situation yeah. based on Ron. It's what would yeah. Ron do? That's what I need to do. Was yes. there a similar thing in Nexium? Yes, there was very much. It's almost exactly like that. Yeah. You know, first of all, he's the example that you want to be like. Yeah. Um, and there's also, this, there was so much pressure to be like him. Oh, you know, really? When, when, I when I came in, you know, there was, uh, I, when I came in, I was like, well, don't you want to be more like him? Or don't you think that his values are whatever? But, you know, he's the mind behind this, this philosophy, this education that you love so much, you know, maybe you should spend time studying him. It was this whole, they venerated him to the point that I was thinking, well, maybe he needs to be venerated, you know, because everybody was saying it. Right. Everybody. And there's a certain expectation, you know, when, whenever you, I, I feel like it's, it's sort of like, you know, when you're a school kid and you get to a new school and at first maybe you're a shy, quiet kid and you can't, what are the rules here? Yeah. I got to figure out the rules because I got to survive. Yep. It's the same in, in a group like this. You get in, you see people doing certain things. You think they're weird, but like that's what they're doing. And so you go, okay, well, I'll just make a note of that. I don't think I want to do that, but I don't want to say that. I'll make a note of that. But eventually you start becoming like that. That's There's a, um, there was a psychologist who wrote a book. I can't remember. Something about mind mapping or brain mapping. I think he just died. Hmm. But... Um, he wrote this book about 
when you interact with another person, you map their mind, you map their brain, you map their thinking, which is a pretty natural thing to do. You want to map them. Mm -hmm. And the problem comes when you map a sociopath's mind, it's not going to go well. Yeah, because you're not like that. So, so first of all, you start to map the mind. You start to to kind of copy them, but it has terribly detrimental ef effects on you as well. Yeah. It's not quite what you were saying, but I'm just adding that thought to it. Mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think. I mean, I, I think about you know some of the people in prison right now. You know that that went in. You know, w with Ranieri. I mean, you know, I don't. I can't name the names, but one of them is like is like a mini him. Mm. just cold and brutal and scary mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um and people are scared of scared of them and scared when they get out you know well i did want to ask you about if you're if you're down i did want to ask you about nancy mm. only in that i'm curious about your views at this point with the education and experience you've had now and of mm. course, all those years of experience with her. And I, and I spoke with Susan about her as well in some detail. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. Nancy, to my point of view, seemed to be um, Keith's partner and mm -hmm. chief enabler. And I'm wondering, mm -hmm. am I seeing that accurately? She mm -hmm. seems to have been all in and fully aware mm -hmm. of everything that was going on and sort of sorted mm -hmm. it in her mind that it all made sense. But am I accurate yeah. in assuming or thinking those things? Uh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. And also, you know, and, and this is not new. I, I wrote, you know, in, in my statement to her in court, you know, which is on my website, I I, I really lay into her. Yeah. Good. And <laughs> one of the things it. I talk about, yeah, one of the things I talk about is um, her love of power. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I talk about in that in that letter is, you know, that she was tasked to break me psychologically mm. and she did. And I said to her in the letter, I said, you know, what kind of person walks around for weeks, months, and years afterwards telling everybody how you broke Mark Vicente? Right. Like, how do you say that with pride? Like it's a good thing. Right. Like, how do you do that? And I said to her at the very end, I think you need to be really curious about your own pathology and about what you think. You know, and and because you should not be working with people, you should not be working with people's psyches. Um, so I have a less charitable view of her. I I think that, you know, there's a certain there's a certain kind of of uh, vulnerable narcissism, where they feel sorry for themselves all the time. Mm. They can cry at the drop of a hat, and you know they have all these little crying stushes. But you 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 start to realize eventually when you know what you're looking at. They're not crying for you or an, a, a, a situation. They're crying for themselves. Right. right. And that's the, that's the, that's the difference. Right. You know? Did so you I think, yeah, I think you and I share the same view of her. Yeah. 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 I have a very unsympathetic view of Nancy Salzman. I'm really sorry that she had such a small prison, short prison sentence, to be honest. That's sort of my take on yeah, it. Given... Look, at, at the same time, look, you know, was she fooled? Yeah, she was fooled because he, he, messed with her head so much. I mean, she, you know, the, the, at the executive board meeting, she would fall asleep. And I said to her in 2016, I took a walk with her and I said to her, you know, you're in an abusive relationship with him. And she was like, no, it's a pity. I couldn't see the whole thing yet, you know, but I was seeing pieces of it. I said, he's abusive to you. She's no, he's not. I'm like, yes, he is. 
and she couldn't see it, you know. Right. And I wrote a few letters to her to try to get her to see it, but I, but I, but I didn't have the whole picture yet, you know, because every time I went to him to say, "Why do you treat her that way?" He would basically say to, you know, what amounted to, "You don't understand what people need. I do." Right. Exactly. That's how we would deal with yeah. it in Scientology as well when we were questioned oh, about yeah. things. Is you simply yeah. don't understand. In fact, if there is. It seems to me uh, in the public eye, at least, or when dealing with critics or dealing with people who don't like Scientology or don't like cults, the number one refrain is, well, if you understood it, then, you know, you'd think differently. You just don't understand mm. what we're doing here. And, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. and true enough in that no one in Scientology understands what L. Ron Hubbard is trying to do. There are there are occult things going on there. I mean, it's it the bottom of that well is deep and so bizarre you would yeah. never ever see it within the Scientology yeah. bubble. You know. Yeah, and, you know. Just, just an aside. You you're, you're familiar with the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster? Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. I love that whole church, that whole movement. Yep. The, the newly appendage. I love it because it's such the perfect metaphor for the absolute stupidity of some of the beliefs. That's right. You know, That's in right. some I'm not saying all religions, but in certainly in some. Yep. I love because it's like, oh my God, there it is. There's the stupidity right there. That's right. That's right. They wear colanders on their head. <laughs> yes. What yes. are they? The Pastafarians, right? The Pastafarians. That's right. Well, let me yeah. let me move toward wrapping up by asking you about this because I want to be respectful of your time and I definitely want to talk to you again, just so you know. We'll do, I, we'll do it. We'll do it again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this. I wanted to ask if in it just maybe, you know, I, I don't want to spoil what you have coming, obviously, but I am curious yeah. about one thing. Did you mm. see or find or note any hope for change in your interviews or work with uh, or study in narcissism? Change in the people that had the pathologies? Yes. No. I didn't think so, because I don't no. see it as I, a personality that ever feels compelled no. to change. There's no reason to. I mean, they yeah. say they do, you know, they, they'll, they'll say they do, but there isn't. I mean, there was one therapist who I spoke to to become a good friend of mine and she believes they can change. And, and we've had, you know, fun arguments about it. I said, I, I just don't see it. And she, and she said, well, I've actually seen behavior changes. And I go, well, sorry to be cynical that I'm not a clinician, but like behavior changes are easy for them. You know, <laughs> they're, right. they're chameleons, you know? That's right. So I don't see, uh, a, a, I don't see that it's possible. I've, I've never, of all the people I've spoken to, they, they might even understand how they work. Some of them are very aware mm -hmm. of, of what their different triggers are. They can describe this feeling of internal emptiness because at some point it didn't feel empty. And at some point they made a decision as children, fuck everybody, fuck this, fuck whatever it is. And they shut that down. So they have a memory of feeling more fullness and now it feels empty. But I don't see that there's a reason for them to change because they're terrified of what it would feel like to feel vulnerability. I happen to think that vulnerability is beautiful now. Yeah. Um, they are so pathologically afraid of losing power because they think th that power is the only thing that, that they have. 
Yeah. You know, they don't see power in, in deep feelings. And honestly, I don't know that they're capable of those feelings anymore, because I think what happens is when they start to approach them, because in my interview, sometimes I would push some of these people, you know, mm-hmm. like I would ask questions about what they're feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and push some of them. And, it, and, you know, for some, you know, it would get to like uh, what would look like a complete breakdown, but I'm not sure. For some, it would it would um, provoke rage, you know. Mm. And for some, can just even more dissociation because they're all very dissociated. That was the, um, that was something I was suspecting was the disassociation, the distancing yeah. from yeah. the feelings or yeah. the effects of their of what they're causing, you know. But I will tell you, and this is really interesting. So you know. Um, in this film, it's it's called Empathy Not Included. Um, I, I interview two brothers, mm. and one is a self-confessed narcissist, and the other is not. And they're twin brothers. Mm. Same background, same upbringing, terrible upbringing. Exactly the same. Completely different people. And when you start to like really talk to them and you and you try to ask them questions, you see that they took these these this very clear divergent path. Where one dissociated completely, the other did it to, to some degree as well, but developed a deep, deep care for other people because of the pain they felt. And then huh. the one that became the narcissist, self-confessed, basically dissociated and just said, I'm, ne- I'm never going to feel those things ever again. You know? And so it was great because we we found like, oh, we don't have to have the whole nature versus nurture discussion. Right. We're just going to show these two characters and yeah. the audience gets to see it, right? Which is a very beautiful moment when you see like, oh my God, they're so different, you know? Yeah. So yeah, there's fun things coming up in that film. I fun really things. look forward to seeing that. I'm glad you you brought some twins to that. You've clearly given this one some thought because that's that's yeah. quite clever. Because um, yeah, twin well, studies are just, where things it was really... Accident. It was by accident, by the way. Oh, really? I wasn't trying to. I was interviewing the guy one day and he says, oh, and my twin brother. And I said, wait, you have a twin brother? He goes, yeah. What's he like? He's not like me. <laughs> but is he empathic? He goes, he's very empathic. I'm like, oh, you know. Perfect. 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 Yeah. The twin studies really blow things up. They really show, yeah. uh, you know, on the nature nurture thing, they really yeah. blow your assumptions out of the water. Twin studies are totally. a whole genre you can look into. It's quite, it's quite interesting totally. in science. Yes. Yes. All right. Yes. Well, Mark, I, I, let's go ahead and wrap up. But I, I not because yeah. I want to. I could keep talking to you for another two hours, man. This is this. I is... know we have lives to, to run as well. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 thank you. I mean, I honestly, it's been so great talking to you. And and it's finally like finally we're talking because we've been liking each other's stuff on Twitter yep. and Instagram, whatever it was, you know. Yep. Um. And I and I watched your stuff, and I you know, a, 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 and and as I said, you know, with with uh, aftermath, I mean, it really helped a lot. I'm telling you, it really helped. So Good. thank you for everything you did there. Really Absolutely. Absolutely. That's it. The only goal, man, it's it's getting us where we are, so we can help other people and live a better life. So on that note, um, how do people find contact, reach out, or whatever to connect with your materials? Uh, your website. I think the best. Yeah. The, um, so my website is markvicente.com, um, M-A-R-K-V-I-C-E-N-T-E.com. I couldn't even remember my spelling. Um, I'm most active on Instagram, uh, at Mark Vicente, also Twitter. Sometimes I spend time there, but most active on Instagram. And on my um, sort of bio, you can see a link to Empathy Not Included, which is where you'll get information about that film when it comes out towards the end of the year. Perfect. 
Perfect, perfect. And you have a nice, you have a very impressive website. So I encourage people to check oh, it out because there's a lot of stuff there and you'll thank definitely you. get a deep dive into what Mark is all and, about. And one more plug just quickly, you yeah. know, because I because my podcast is also my YouTube channel, but I did an episode, which you may have seen because what what is a cult? Mm-hmm. And I go through like the 25 things that I think of in terms of what is a cult. And that's been an amazing resource for people. So if people want to check that out, it's kind of it's kind of fun. Absolutely. All right, folks, uh, definitely check it out. And thanks for coming around and watching us uh, gab on this week about this stuff. I hope it was interesting, informative, and educational as always. And I hope you will consider supporting the channel so that I can continue bringing you this work. And with that, we'll wrap up. See you guys next week. Bye-bye.